Hey guys, you are listening to Killer Cocktails, where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer. This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends get drunk and talk about gruesome murders. Each week we pick a different drink whose name or ingredients set the tone for our stories. This week's episode is based on the Seabreeze cocktail. Now what you'll need is a highball glass, or if you're like us and poor, you can use whatever you got, and you're going to add one and a half ounces of your favorite vodka. Today we are drinking Crater Lake Vodka, which is located in Central Oregon and goes down so smooth. Then you'll need four ounces of cranberry juice, one ounce of grapefruit juice, ice, and a lime for garnish. And you'll be all set to get tipsy and chat with your friends about your favorite murders, which is what we are about to do. So we'll be right back. All right, so this is where the professionalism ends and the <laughs> drinks begin. Um, my name is Drea. My name is Jackie. And we're coming to you live from Central Oregon. Yeah. Live, 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 live. Live and edited <laughs> for... Uh, but live for us. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, we can dive right in. We got uh, sea breezes in us now. Got a couple, yeah. couple gulps in. So sorry. I haven't had one of these in years. <laughs> I feel so classy. It's very well put together. Well done. Well done, Jackie. I just gave you all the uh, the things, and you put them all in one vessel. So <laughs> Just mix them well all done. together. Well done. Would you say I'm a mixologist now? <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> all right, so we didn't Rochambeau, so whose oh. murder are we doing first? Um, I don't care. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Rochambeau for it? Oh, Ready? Okay, all yeah, right, let here me we set go. this delicious drink down. <laughs> Rochambeau. Right. Yeah, yeah, Ambo. Rochambeau. Oh, Rochambeau. <laughs> Rochambeau. Hey, All right, okay, Dre cool. goes first. Um, and I just want to, again, say how much we are into true crime. Um, so much so that our friends and family and coworkers have... They don't want to hear about it anymore. They don't want to hear about it anymore. So we have to make a podcast <laughs> so somebody listens to us. <laughs> um, what was that? I was at dinner the other day, and it was with two people I didn't know and my boyfriend... And I was just itching to talk about the Golden State Killer. And he <laughs> it was, was news. It had just, it just blown yeah. up. And uh, he gave me an in. He mentioned the name. And I took off for 20 minutes blathering about all the details. <laughs> and they were just, you know, wide-eyed, like mouth open. She's like really uh, <laughs> Just chomping on my ribs. <laughs> <laughs> um, that makes it better. Yeah. Yeah. So, murder. All right. So, I will jump into mine. All right. All right. So... The year is 1982. Ooh, we're going back. We're going way back. Well, not that back, but back. And I'm going to start off by telling you all about Mark Colthrist, who is from Blaine, Washington, and he's about to celebrate his 28th birthday. Okay, Blaine. I'm, I'm going to guess Eastern Washington? No idea. Oh. Yeah. I just know it's above us. Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Mark has spent the last 12 years rising within the notorious fishing game starting out on a skiff and making his way up to captaining his own top-of-the-line 58-foot senior called the Investor. It's Schooner? Like senior. S-E-I-N-E-R. Sure. Sure. Uh, it's like one of those So boats. I no longer think Eastern Oregon, or Eastern Washington. Yeah. Now I'm thinking the ocean. Oh, ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. What, oh, no. What's our drink? Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, in oh. case you forgot, like Jackie did, <laughs> it off, right. our murder stories These are taking place on the ocean. <laughs> Got it. Our murder stories are based on the drinks, which are sea breezes. Um, so, <laughs> so they have a boat. It's called the Investor. It's a fishing boat. It's one of those ones that drops the the net and it like okay. skirts the bottom and such and such. And so <clears throat> he bought the Investor the previous winter, and he has his own crew of eight people which includes his wife and two children. So to sort of paint a picture of how well Mark is doing in the fishing game, his boat, the Investor, is one of the most expensive and high-tech commercial fishing boats in that region, clocking in at $850,000. In $82? In 83? In 1982. Yeah. Yeah. That was what I meant by that. (laughs) Which, yeah, inflation, yeah. Yeah. So probably a cool million. Yeah. Yeah. So he's doing quite well in the fishing game. So everyone really likes Mark, and they see him doing well, and they're like, man, that's who I want to be. Mark is very ambitious and has tons of projects going on to make as much money as he can so he can retire by the time he's 50, which we're all trying yeah, to do. Cool. Yeah, 
So Mark and his wife, Irene, and their two kids arrive in Craig, Alaska on September 5th, which had a population of roughly 1,000 in 1982. Okay. So it's one of those rustic outposts in the Alaska wilderness where everyone knows each other and people don't lock their doors. So he has a crew of eight people, which includes himself, his pregnant wife, Irene, mm-hmm. who is 28. So they're, they're a young couple yeah. who's doing really well. Yeah. Um, their daughter, Kimberly, who's five, and is starting kindergarten that week. Their younger child, John, is four years old. And then they also have their cousin on board, Michael Stewart, who's 19, a sophomore at Washington State University. Jerome, ugh, his last name, Keon, uh, who's 19. He's a Seattle University honor student and has just been recruited to work on The Investor the previous week. Okay. So he's new to the crew. And you have Dean Moon, who is also 19. He's a former Blaine High School football star. And Chris Heyman, who's 18, or who's about to turn 18 in a couple days. Okay. So you have up-and-coming family. Yeah, it's a young crew. Young crew, young, very young crew. They're all just trying to save up for, you know, college. Got it. Um, so the investor and its crew arrive back in Craig after a fishing run on September 5th, hauling a 77,000-pound 70, haul of pink salmon. Okay. So the catch is valued at $33,000. But Mark never takes cash and payments, but instead likes to wait for a lump sum at the end of the season, which is normal for fishingmen up in that area. Okay. Yeah. Because you're out, you're not really spending any money because you're just going to out at sea anyway? Yeah. It's just like they go up for the season, they make all their money for they the make year. bank. Yeah. In like three to four months, and then yeah. they're out. So it's not really worth it for them to pull out money. Probably also they drink it all away, I'm assuming. I think there's some drinking happening. Yeah. My cousin worked on a on a fishing boat at one point. And said it was the hardest job he'd ever done. Mm-hmm. Got paid very well at the end of the season. And yeah. was like, I'm never going to do it again. And then the season rolled back. And I think he did it a second time. Yeah. I think just the money was so good. Is it like long hours? Like the, the yeah, pulling? And the... Yeah. I just think it's really physically involved. Yeah. And then you're also, you're living on a boat. And I don't think that's. No. I had another friend who was, he was the narc on the boat. He was the government person. That's making sure you're not catching things you're not supposed to be catching. Wait, that you're not. Pulling. Every boat has this. Every boat, every oh. commercial fishing boat, I believe. I could be wrong, uh, but to my knowledge, every commercial fishing boat has to have someone that isn't a part of the crew, and no one really likes this person. And hopefully, you have a personality that everyone's like, oh, but I like them anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they, you know, they're testing. They're doing water samples all the time. They're testing the fish that you're catching, making sure you're only allowed to catch like if you throw something out and you're supposed to get this many blue fish, and mm-hmm. you have, you know two times as many yellow fish as you're supposed to. Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah, they're just there to make sure you're following all the So we got a pencil pr- pusher, like... Correct. Yeah. A glass pusher. And my friend who did that did not like that job. <laughs> doesn't do it anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can see that yeah. for sure. Um, all right. Oh, okay, so that's valued at about $33,000, and we talked about that. So they get into town, and Mark and his wife and children go to a local restaurant to celebrate mark's birthday oh okay um and so around the same time witnesses say that dean and jerome went to a laundromat to call their families okay. uh dean was unable to reach his family but jerome got a hold of his brother and his brother said that the conversation was normal and didn't spark any concerns okay um they then bought some drugs from a former crewman uh, um, of the investor so someone who used to work on the investor john peel John had been fired by Mark because he was a little too into drinking and doing drugs. Okay. Which a lot of people are in that small kind of town. Okay. You got nothing else to do. So John Peel got a job working on another fishing boat that was docked near the investor. All right. So back to the Colthrist family. They wrap up the family uh, birthday party around 9.30 p.m. and head back to the investor as a storm starts a brewing off the shore. Okay. Uh, so crewman on the decade, which is docked next to the investor, says that sometime around 10.30 p.m., four-year-old John Coltis struck his, uh, stuck his head inside the pilot house of the decade to say hi to a crewman he'd played with earlier that day. So we're establishing a timeline. Okay. Okay. Uh, so that night, the storm is raging, and crew members on the decade and the defiance, which is also docked next to the investor, are having their own boat party celebrating the end of the season. So no one notices anything strange so going on that night. people are out at sea right now. No. Everyone's docked, and docked. there's kind of different boat parties going on. Yeah, so it kind of sounds like... They go out during the day and then they come back unless they're on a big fishing haul. Okay. Because they can only hold so much on got their it, boats. Got it, got it. That makes sense. Um, and now I'm going to tell you um, about the incident that is known as Alaska's worst unsolved mass homicide. Oh, no. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh no, your face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so between the end of the birthday party, which is a Sunday night, and the next morning, it just all goes to shit. Okay. Um, so from what investigators can guess, they think that the crew members were killed one or two at a time as they returned to the ship. Uh, primarily because Irene was found in the same clothes she had worn to the birthday party at the restaurant. Okay. So Mark, Irene, Kimberly, so that's the husband, the wife, the little girl, and Mark Stewart, who's the cousin, were shot to death. Okay. Apparently with a twenty-two caliber weapon, and their bodies were stacked in bunks on the boat. So at six... Stacked in, like, they just, like, put, put them in beds? I, I think there's bunk beds, and they, like, put them... Somebody put the bodies there. Interesting. Just to kind of get them out of the way. I think okay. maybe if they we're doing it one by one maybe getting the bodies out of the way so with like the crew will actually come onto the board got it, got yeah it. okay so at 6 a.m monday morning uh, a decade crewman went out on the deck to throw up as any respectable adult <laughs> does after a night of partying <laughs> okay you gotta just you know puke and rally yeah yeah <laughs> um and he said he saw the investor drifting away slowly so our friend on the decade uh waved to the guy in the investor's pilot house and this dude waves back there's a guy. There's a guy. Oh, creepy. Yeah. And a few minutes later, the decade skipper, Clyde Curry, also came on deck and saw the same dude. Because these guys all know each other. They like, all it's know a small community. Yeah, yeah right. they hang out all season with each other. Yeah. They party. They drink. They're the population of a thousand. Um, so, yeah, Clyde Curry comes up on deck, sees the same dude on the investor, and they both just assume it's Mark. Because yeah. he it's has a, a hat on. And he's out. You can't in see. glasses, yeah. Uh, at 7.30 a.m., a crewman on another boat noticed the investor anchored near Fish Egg Island. Around that time, another witness noticed the investor skiff tied up to the dock. So that little boat. So if you don't want to bring in your whole boat, yeah, you yeah, get yeah. on the skiff. Okay. So um, that afternoon, the rest of the, the boat fleet headed out for the last opening of the season. So it's the end of the season. The fog in the harbor was so thick that most had to use their radar. So visibility is not good okay. right now. Um, Curry on the decade thought that perhaps the investor had left the dock because of the loud party on a ship and he felt really bad. So he radioed the investor to apologize, but there was no response. Um, during the same time, a young man is seen purchasing two and a half gallons of gasoline in Craig. He retrieved the investor's skiff from near the dock and returned to the vessel. Um, investigators say he doused the inside of the cabin with gasoline and the forward sleeping area, paying particular attention to the forward crew area where several of the bodies were. The fire in that part of the boat was so intense that it was impossible to determine how many bodies were eventually found there. Mm. Yeah. So around 4 p.m., the crew of the casino, also docked at the Craig, uh, noticed that the smoke was rising from an anchored boat. After alerting, alerting th- authorities, the casino pulled away from the dock and headed for Fish Egg Island to help fight the fire. On the way, it passed the investor skiff again, headed back toward Craig. Oh, it hailed oh. the skiff and spoke briefly to the man on board and then went to the burning ship. What the dude say? I don't know. What? Yeah. It was probably, I think what it was, was kind of like they thought it was a crewman, like, coming off of it, yeah, trying to I go get help. Yeah, I guess changed. Yeah, and... yeah. So they're like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 the fire, oh, I'm going to go get help, you go help. Imagine yeah. being that dude who talked to that dude. Fuck. Oof. That's, wow. That, yeah. Um, so, blah, blah, around, do-do-do, burning ship. Um, it hailed the skiff. Okay. The man in the skiff pulled up to the Craig dock, spoke briefly to at least three more people off the dock, and walked up the dock and disappeared. What an inch like, that is a, a bold confidence. Yes. And the thing is, like, he's not ninja status at all. Yeah. So people are saying that they talked to this man, but nobody knows who it is. He just looks like anybody. Anybody. But it's such a small town that they should okay, know. Okay, why, like, Why? Why? What? Why? Like, what is this guy's motive? I feel like he's former crew. You think he's former crew? Yeah. Okay. Why? Because one, you have to have some sort of beef with the boat or the crew, Mm. the captain or all, you know what I mean? Like you're incinerating all of it. Yeah. Uh, Because that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. There's kids involved. Mm -hmm. There's... Pregnant woman. Pregnant woman. Yeah. You know, knowing your way around the boat. I mean, maybe all boats are built similarly, but... Yeah. To me, the motive is you have some sort of connection to that family. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, hold tight. 
Oh, there's oh, there's more. <laughs> yeah, I got a couple pages. Whoa. <laughs> um, okay, so he disappears. So the fire burned for 42 hours. It's but, burning. Yeah, but was briefly brought under control that evening, long enough for bullets, bullet wounds to be discovered and the first fo- four charred bodies recovered. So now they're like, oh, shoot. Yeah. We got a problem here. And the thing was, I was reading, um, so they see it caught on fire. They go to go help, and then the police come, and they're like, no, 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 we got this. Don't. Like, they, they actually get the fire kind of under control. And they're like, well, we're going to be back. We're going to get more people. Okay. And the other boats are kind of hanging around. And then the fire just erupts again. Like, the, it, yeah. it just, so they kind of kind of had it calm. And then once they're like, don't touch the boat, we'll be right back. The boat just catches on, like, just, like, gets to the Back fuel tank. Style. Yeah. And, um, and nobody does anything because the cops told them not to intervene. So oh. all this evidence is just... Lost, yeah. So some people felt really guilty about that. Yeah, there's gonna be a lot of guilt involved with the story. Yeah. Uh, with the investor now burned to the waterline, police grimly sifted. Burned to the waterline. Waterline, it's gone. It's gone. Uh, police grimly sifted two tons of soggy ashes through fine mesh screens to extract the human remains. You know, there's some barbecue fish in there too. Oh, that's nice. Like salmon, like leftover salmon. Pink salmon. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Oh, they were talking about. How something like something was oozing Uh-oh. through the uh, boards and stuff, yeah, through the charred remains, and it was human tissue. Gross. Yeah. Um, so a single tooth and ten pounds of bone fragments were sifted through. Hmm. So eventually, the remains of Jerome were identified, but it was never positively determined that the remaining fragments belonged to either Chris or Dean. Hmm. And no signs. Oh, because you're also trying to decide where the other crew. Yeah. Are. Yeah. So we know Jerome was there. We know the cousin was there and the main family. Um, there's no sign of the four-year-old, um, but investigators believe his tiny body was totally consumed by the fire. Yeah. Yeah. He's just little. And they said he liked to hang out in the, the like, where, everything... where, where all the fire was. Yeah. So we know the bodies. Are, so one, you're trying for the families to let them know what that they did pass away. Yeah. And then also you're probably, I imagine, trying to eliminate them as a suspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because one of the theories going around was that the, it was the two bodies, bodies that weren't found. And I was reading this thing on Reddit that, like, what was it? Dean was, like, found somewhere in California years later. But it was a Reddit thread. I'm not sure it's there's a, any. Yeah. yeah. Well, sometimes. Sometimes but, you can get really great stuff out of there. <laughs> because, like, the comments part are like, oh, dude, my cousin worked at this restaurant with the guy who from whatever. Yeah. And then you're like, well, I don't know why I believe you. You know what I mean? Like, people are also liars. Yeah. But... <laughs> what? No. <laughs> no. Never. Jackie, this is America. <laughs> Home of the truthful. Oh. So, horrific. This murder happens. It just yeah. shakes this little town to the For core. Sure. So, it takes two years to make any kind of arrest. And police finally arrest John Peel. Do you remember John Peel? He sold the drugs oh, to yeah. uh, Dean and Jerome. Um, and so this was able to, like, put him through a trial. So okay. the s- state conceded that the evidence against Peel was mostly circumstantial, but based much of its case on the eyewitnesses who said they saw Peel and the investor um, skiff and purchasing gasoline before the fire. The state said the motive was... Peel re- or a guy? They saw Peel? Some people said they saw Peel. Like, they looked at a lineup, and they picked him out of the lineup, okay. and other people couldn't. Okay. And uh, they were looking for a guy who was, like, 5'8", uh, brownish hair, pockmarked complexion. Oh. And, uh, oh, I was going to show you the pictures. You want to see the pictures of yeah. everyone? Okay. We'll um, put this up on our... Uh, Instagram, social media, yeah. Twitter, which we should have told you our hashtags and everything, at Killer Cocktail Podcast. Don't quote me at that. I'll put that information in the... (laughs) We're totally ready for this podcast, by the way. We're just here for the murder. Okay, if you just scroll through there. Ooh, Golden Gate Bridge. And so that... So this is the couple. That's the couple. They look like 70s, 80s people. Right? Yeah, they don't look 28. They look... Am I going this way? Uh, You could go either way. It's just those. Oh. And so those should be the kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. Young babies. Dang. Yeah. And then, the, yeah, the two students, they're, like, honor students, like, athletes. This just looks 70s, 80s. Yeah. So this is Dean. Yeah. And he's he's the one they're thinking? No. Dean. Peel. Peel. No, yeah. John, I'll show you John Peel. I don't Peel. have a picture of Peel. Yeah, okay. So John Peel, 
he, you know, he's up in Alaska. He's a young single guy. He, I don't know, does drugs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's got that, his teeth aren't that, the greatest, yeah. you know. Um, so they go through the trial. So, yeah, people are saying it was John. Some people are not. It's this big thing in Alaska. Like, you either believe he's guilty yeah, or you yeah, think yeah. he's innocent. And so, um, the state said the motive was revenge because Peel had been fired by Mark the year before, which is your theory. On, yeah. <laughs> on point. Uh, Peel's defense hit on inconsistencies in the witnesses' uh, t- t- testimony and the fact that some of the witnesses had changed their stories or had trouble remembering the events of four years before. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it, so the two year it took two years to arrest him and then two years to get the trial. Yeah, there's six months. Yeah, there's slow cogs. Um, Peel's defense uh, contended that a drug deal gone bad had led to the ki- killings and hinted that Mark had used drug money to purchase his new boat. Oh. Although no evidence of drug dealing was ever entered into the trial record. Interesting. But, you know, because a lot of drug trafficking did go through there. I could see him just throwing shade. Yeah. And I could also see in a small town like that, that holds him in such high regard, and the, his poor young family has been murdered, mm-hmm. I can also see a not wanting to tarnish yeah. a hero of sorts. Yeah. That goes both ways. Yeah. And do, 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 do. Peel's defense also pointed a, f- uh, a figure at or finger at either Chris or Dean because their remains hadn't hadn't been identified. Um, so after more than six months of testimony, they had a hung jury. Mm. Uh, two years later, the state brought Peel to trial again, and the second trial acquitted Peel of the murder and arson charges. So double jeopardy can't be he put up quitting. for this again. Yeah. So even after the acquittal, state officials publicly said that they still believed Peel was involved in the murders. And in 1990, Peel filed a suit against the state of Alaska. Just seek- for slander? Yeah, or? seeking $175 million for mm-hmm. wrongful pr- uh, prosecution. In 1997, so seven years later, Peel agreed to a um, 900000 payment from the state. Dang. To, like, cover... That's essentially covering his yeah, court yeah. fees. Um, and then Tim Despain, a spokesperson for the Alaska State Troopers, said the case is closed. Police have stopped looking for the killer, but that hardly means that the invest- investor killers are resolved. So essentially they're saying, we know it's pool. Mm-hmm. We tried and we didn't get them. Yeah. We're that's not going to keep look- spending money and looking for people when we know who did it and we just couldn't get them. Yeah. <laughs> but if you don't believe it's Peel, then it's been 35 years since the murders and, and nothing has really, yeah. no information has come from it. Crazy. Yeah. So there's some weird things, though. So, like, the gasoline that was purchased. Mm-hmm. So some people said it, they saw Peel doing yeah. it. Others said they didn't. Either way, the gasoline that was purchased wasn't the gasoline that matched the gasoline that burned the, oh, on the boat. What? Yeah. So some people were theorizing that the gasoline was for the skiff. Yeah. Because it, it needed gasoline. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then some people are saying, like, um, the reason why Peel was there, because Dean and Jerome, like, invited him over after mm-hmm. the drug incident. And somebody did mention that there was, what was it? It was a crewman or a cook had quit a month before, and he said there was some, like, weird fighting going Bad on. Blood. Yeah, but he wouldn't go into it. So hmm. there's all these theories. Yeah. Yeah, what do you think? I mean, I think it's Peel. Okay. Um... Do you think it's Peel by himself, or do you think he had an accomplice? I, well, I, I kind of played with that in my head, and I feel like they only ever saw one, one person's waving to him from the captain's tower, one person's driving around on the skiff, mm-hmm. one person's buying gas. Like, I, I do. I think it was solo. And you try and think, like, if it's him, what's what's the kickoff to that? Was he just selling drugs to these guys on the crew, and then, like, they all start talking about it, and he starts pissing him on about how he doesn't like Mark, and, you know, oh, come back to the, like, we're having a part, like, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe Mark confronts him and is like, get off my boat. You're not supposed to, like, maybe there's some sort of weird... Yeah, because they come back from the birthday. Yeah, maybe and, there's yeah. some sort of strange beef, and, like, you know, maybe Mark's drunk from, he's it's his birthday, and words are exchanged, and the guy's just like, I'm gonna burn your boat down. I don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> Bro. <laughs> yeah, there was a thing, um, shoot, what was I just gonna say? Blah, blah, blah. But, okay, so... Um, he, Mark got the investor and so he needed a bigger crew. So he hired it, hired all these kids and Peel's already worked on the, the boat. And he's like, Oh bro. Like I heard some people have quit. Like I will help you out. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah and Mark's like, no, I fired you. Yeah. And so, um, and another thing is he was from, uh, Peel was from Bell- Bellevue, Washington, oh. mm. um, which Christina hates. 
<laughs> um, and so he contacted Mark and was like, hey, are you going up to Craig? Can I catch a ride with you? And Craig's like, or Mark's like, mm, no, I'm not going up there. And so they end up going to Craig and then Mar- uh, Peel sees them there. Yeah. And so I think maybe it's just, yeah, kind of layered on yeah, layered on layered. Yeah, it's weird, passive aggressive, polite, but not, yeah. Yeah. And the another, all these little weird things. Yeah. Um, so Peel didn't have enough money to fly back home, so he was going to catch a ride on some boats and work his way down. Got it. Um, but the murders occurred, and the day after, he bought a, pl- a plane ticket. How's he suddenly have money? I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. So he was getting out of Dodge. Interesting. Yeah. And because the murders happened on a Sunday and it took him until Tuesday with the fire and everything, yeah. they didn't, the cops didn't do a successful, like, kind of shut down. So yeah. people could have left on a boat. They mm-hmm. could have left various ways. Good story. So that's the mass murder. Yeah. Murder. Unsolved. <laughs> or solved. Or solved. Oh, I also want to give a shout out to, like, one of my biggest sources. Uh, Dave Kiffer, K-I-F-F-E-R. He writes for Site News. He's a freelance writer. And his article, A Look Back at Alaska's Worst Unsolved Mass Murder. Super well-researched. It was awesome. awesome. Yeah. I will have to find my, because I had some super, <laughs> but I don't, I can't cite it right now because I don't, I didn't write it down. Yeah. Uh, so in our little, in our There'll be words written somewhere, and I'll I'll put it in there. Yeah. Good. Nice. Good student over there. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, This time, I didn't rely on Wikipedia, and I was super stoked on myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, All right. Well, I'm going to take a break real quick, because I've finished my sea breeze. Yeah, mine's... I need a topper. Thanks. All right. We're back. Yay. We got our new drinks ready to go. Mm Mm-hmm. A little less ice this time. <laughs> I'll say, you're almost done with your drink already. <laughs> it's melting down, man. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So my story mm. is about the Joe Cool. Oh. It's the name of the vessel. Okay, cool. With the uh, sea breeze thing. Correct. <laughs> uh, this takes place back in 2007. Okay. Uh, there's a man named Kirby Logan Archer. I like that name. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> um, there's kind of conflicting stuff in there. He's either 34 or 36 at the time, but he's in his mid-30s. Okay. Uh, he's a manager at Walmart. We don't know this? This was 2006? Yeah, I... Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know what his birthday is. I'm, I'm at, you know, <laughs> I'm capable of that kind of math. Um, but some articles would say he was 34, some would say he's 36, so I don't know if they're just written after the fact and saying that... I imagine he's 34 at the time of this Walmart thing. Okay. And he's probably 36 at the time of the Joe Cool thing. Okay, Walmart my... thing. Ooh, I'm interested. Yeah, so he's a manager at Walmart. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of his shift, he asks another cashier to help him load what ends up being $92,000 worth of cash into a shopping cart. <laughs> so as I'm reading this, at first I think, oh, they're like, they're closing. It's like the two of them closing down Walmart. No, this is just the end of his shift. Oh. It's still open. Oh. So. Th- and he asks a coworker. Yeah. Another cashier. So and he's he a manager. Them, he's the manager. Okay. He asks this other cashier, hey, help me put all this cash in a <laughs> shopping cart. And then he goes into the back with it. Normally, I, I guess this is a kind of normal thing, but that normally the two go together into the back. Yeah. Just like, you know, if, if we close down, you've got to have two people. Two, two eyes, yeah. So the manager says, hey, get out of here. Take the, take the rest of the day you, for yourself. You've done enough today, yeah. Bob. Yeah. And the other cashier's like, cool, man. <laughs> doesn't say a word to anybody. Or maybe he does, but I don't think he says a word to anybody. It's Walmart. <laughs> All right. Uh, so then uh, Kirby goes, he's in the back. He's got this, you know, shopping cart full of cash. He stuffs all the cash into a microwave oven a for microwave sale. Oven. Like a like a Like a microwave. Oven. Like a toaster oven microwave oven. I guess I was thinking $92,000 would be bigger. It's all in hundreds, maybe? It's all in hundreds. Okay. And it stacks. So next time I'm imagining that, I'll just imagine a microwave he's, oven. He stuffs it into a microwave oven. Perfect. It may be also in the box with the microwave oven. Right. But all he has with him is a box with a microwave oven. Smart. He goes up to a random different cashier and he gets rung up for it and gets his discount. <laughs> yes. Uh, he goes home. He changes cars. He texts this uh, this woman, Mikhail, M-I-C-H-A. E-L-E. I'm visual and I don't know how to speak I, I, well. I so. think it's Mikhail. <laughs> Otherwise, it's a really weird Michelle. I'm going to call her Mikhail. Perfect. Mikhail. Um, so he texts Mikhail and he says something like, I done messed up. 
he doesn't really elaborate something to those, you know, to the, to that extent. Um, he gets pulled over by a cop for speeding. Oh my God. The cop cites him and lets him go. Because he doesn't know that at this time in another county that this is a, wa- a wanted man. Oh, shit. Because they kind of figured out he stole the money pretty quick. Oh, okay. Um, but he's got 92 in cash and off he goes. So let's go back in time. That's that's taking place in probably 2005-ish. 2067. Okay. Uh, in 1993, okay. while living in Arizona, mm. uh, he was convicted of contributing to the delinquency of a minor, which was a misdemeanor. For keeping the then 15-year-old, Mikhail, out after curfew. Oh, they've known each other for a while. Yeah, so he's probably like, I think my quick math was like, he's like 22-ish. Oh. And he's contributing to the delinquency of a 15-year-old. Oh. Yeah. Red flags. Uh, oh, there's more. Oh, good. (laughs) Uh, later, after he kind of gets in trouble for that, he enlists in the army, and he serves as a military investigator at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. No. Oh, no. So then uh, he gets, oh, he goes, oh, <laughs> so he marries this woman, Michelle. That's in like 1998. Mikhail or Michelle? Michelle, different. Oh. <laughs> no, sorry. There's a new woman now. Her name is Michelle. Okay. Spelled um, like with two L's. Okay. Hmm. Uh, and that's in like 1998. They have two kids. Three or four years later, uh, Kirby goes AWOL from the army. Uh, he's dishonorably discharged. And he and Michelle, the family, they moved to Arkansas where then he and Michelle get a divorce. Okay. Um, it's Since a, her name's not Mikhail. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, essentially. I can't take it anymore, Michelle. <laughs> essentially. Um, it is a very nasty divorce. Oh. And they're both saying horrible things about each other. Um, she confesses to lesbian relationships. Mm. Uh, she claims that Archer, uh, Kirby, Kirby Archer. Yeah. She claims that he had a tryst with a high school boy. <gasps> And he added young. that he also had sex with his own niece. No. And fathered her baby. No. So, ah. during the court hearing for their uh, divorce, yeah. uh, Kirby says he didn't have sex with his niece, but he is listed as the father on the birth certificate. What <laughs> was his reasoning just to, like... I, <laughs> I think he's a, a spinner of words. <laughs> listen, listen. I'm not the father. Legally, but legally I am. Yes. Uh, so then uh, now there's a police investigation that get, ensues out of this divorce. Uh, detectives in Arkansas are probing multiple child sex abuse allegations um, so serious that Kirby was prohibited from seeing his own two children unsur- unsupervised. Which I think is a good idea. Yes. He does not sound like a I good person. I think the system is working in this case. Yes. Um, he, it kind of becomes clear he's probably not going to get custody of the kids. Good. <laughs> Around this time that he's having all this trouble with Michelle and this bad divorce, he marries Mikhail. Oh, Mikhail. She's back. Yay. The girl from Arizona. So they've known each other before his Correct. marriage. Back oh, when she was 15. 15. So she's older now. Yeah. Um, okay. So now let's zip back. So now he's stolen all this money okay. from Florida. <laughs> uh, and I'll, I'll cite, there's this really wonderful website that had like part of this cool narrative of going back and forth was how this one author had kind of outlaid it. It was yeah. I, I liked it. It's like a Westworld episode. Yeah. <laughs> Let's Tarantino this. Uh, after he steals the money at Walmart, he moves to Florida. And he moves into this Hispanic kind of Miami suburb. Um, he is... Is he Hispanic? I don't think so. Okay. He's visiting the... This is a hard name. I had Zarabozo. I also love that name. So, Zarabozo. <laughs> the Zarabozo family. Um, he had met them in early 90s when he was in Guantanamo. Oh. There's like, there's some theories that maybe he helped them get to America, but he knows them from way back in the day, from okay. his military days, before he went AWOL. Back in Nam. Correct. <laughs> uh, he was uh, really close to their youngest son. Weird. <laughs> uh, oh, no. The son's name is Guillermo, uh, who was only eight Oh, no. When they bonded at the refugee camp in no. Guantanamo. So he's older now. Mm. The pair, had, they'd kept in touch. Uh, Guillermo had visited Archer in other state. Like, uh, so he's 18 now. Oh. Or about to be 18. Oh, no. But they've known each other a long time. Um, okay, so that's how the two of them connect. Okay. Is that he knows the family. So now he's on the run. He's stolen all this Walmart money. He's got people thinking he's a pedophile. He uh, doesn't think he's going to get his kids. So he and Zarabozo 
they head to, they're still in Florida. Mm -hmm. So they go, I think they're in Miami. They go to charter a boat. Okay. And the idea is that they're going to go to what, what detectives think now is the intention is to get to Cuba. Got it. Because they're both familiar with Cuba and there's no extradition to the United States. All good things. Yeah. For them. Uh, So, Zarabozo and Kirby are walking down the beach and they're asking a bunch of different charters like, hey, we want to charter a boat. We're going to the, they, they keep saying they're going to the Bahamas. They mm-hmm. want to go to uh, Bohemi, Beanie Island. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll find it in here. Uh, and they don't have passports and they want to pay in cash and everything. There's just red flags, red, red flags. flags yeah. yeah. So two different charter organizations are like, no, we're not going to take you. So Does anybody call the cops? Like no, I'm sure that happens all the time. Okay. So they're just zooming down the beach and trying to find a ride and kind of be on the the DL about it, and uh, they come across this guy Sammy who's kind of hanging out on his boat, and Sammy's like, "We're down." Yeah. So Sammy is a crew member on this new outfit. This is their first charter to the Bahamas. <gasps> no. So there's a husband and wife team, Jake and Kelly. Okay. Everything about them sounds magical, suntanned, living the life. So far, it seems like couples on the high sea is yeah. not going to work for you. Yeah. Yeah. It, you live the life until you don't. Don't. Yeah. Uh, Jake and Kelly and Jake's half-brother or stepbrother, I can't remember which, Scott, and then the good friend Sammy, who's also, there's four crew members. Uh, Jake and Kelly have two kids. They've got like a kid kid and then a baby, I think. Hmm. Um, so it's a 47-foot uh boat yacht thing uh called the joe cool um they paid four thousand dollars in cash to get the zarbozo and uh kirby paid to get there um their story was that they were going to meet up with girlfriends in bimini so wait a minute how far is it from florida to bimini that four thousand dollars doesn't seem like a lot i think it's charterable okay and so one of the questions sammy asks he's like why don't you guys just fly yeah for yeah and so the story that Kirby gives is, ugh, my girlfriend packed my passport and took it with her. So mm. I'm, like, stuck here. I'm just trying to get there to visit her. I'll have my passport, and I can... I don't need to ride back. Yeah, like, I'll fly I just back. I need to get there, yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a reasonable enough story, right. I suppose. Um, I, th- I think he's charming. He's got kind of bleach tips and a goatee, which, you know... I don't know. <laughs> oh. It was 2007. I don't know how cool that is. Anyway. He was living in the past. Yeah. Um, like so, the older... Or the younger crew. So. For sure. So then uh, halfway to Bimini, the onboard GPS, uh, like they're able to go back in time and kind of see what was up. It takes this 190 degrees back towards Florida. Then that goes a second time and it's headed 170 degrees south towards Cuba. Oh, no. Somebody tried to turn around. Yeah. So it's like what they're thinking is that um, that was his plan all along was get to Cuba, just like we were talking about, um, and, and live there. So there's a lot of kind of mystery about what happened on the boat. But, so, we'll kind of uh, skip some time here. The When the charter doesn't come back, the family's like, because they're watching their kids, they're mm-hmm. like, they're supposed to be here, where are they? They send out the Coast Guard. Okay, so the kids looking. aren't on the boat. Kids are not on the boat. Good. Kid, kid baby are with the grandpa. Good. Yeah. Good, good, good. And there's a lot of, anyway, we'll get back to that. So, uh, they go out looking for them. And the Coast Guard, and like this involves maritime law, like the FBI oh, get involved oh. at one point. Um so they're out there searching and they find the Joe Cool and nobody's on it. They find a couple shell casings. They find some, a key to handcuffs. Yeah. Some blood in a certain spot and uh, some marijuana. Yeah. And nobody. And they're like, what is going on? And then other than that, nothing's upturned. No. Like, no str- it's just like these little things. Yeah creepy so then they're looking they're looking they're looking and then they find in the life in a life raft kirby and Zarabozo. yeah alive alive oh pull them up hey what's going on guys we were attacked by pirates <laughs> well okay pirates pirates are real yeah <laughs> pirates are real. In, in a much different in a much less cartoon sense yeah uh they're like pirates <clears throat> came it was so scary. It was so crazy. This is what they looked like. Uh, and Peg leg. Parrot. Exactly. Yep. Hoop earring. Bandanas. <laughs> <Arr>. <laughs> they were drinking rum. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, they give conflicting stories. So, apparently, while they're hanging out on this life, ra- life raft, 
they didn't talk about what they were going to tell people Idiots. when they were They found. had the girlfriend story down, but not the murder story. Mm-hmm. Ah, Correct. So they say they're wearing different kind of clothes. They say that uh, they the, the pirates killed everybody. Then they're like, no, the pirates made us kill people. Oh. Um, there's, it goes kind of back and forth and round and sideways. Ultimately, they kind of clean it up and they're like, okay, cool. Zarabozo, you're, we have like receipts and you, maybe on camera, buy, like, this is your, like, your gun is what expelled, like, expelled these casings. Oh. So you got to explain the gun part. And then he, and there's like a jailhouse snitch who kind of gives part of the story, but then everyone's like, that jailhouse snitch has the same lawyer that Zarabozo has, and there's this weird, like, collusion-y talk. Yeah. But essentially, like, what I kind of sussed out of here, what people think happened, um, you've got Zarabozo saying, like, dude, I didn't know that all this shit went down with Kirby and that we were, like, running away to Cuba. He told me that given his background and experience and my background, because he'd been, like, a security guard and stuff, Mm -hmm. that we were going to be, like, high-class security guards for high-ranking government officials in Cuba. Yeah. That we were going to work for the CIA. (sighs) That I had, like, this really rad job lined up. In Cuba. um, and And we had to lie about the girlfriend's part. And there's, to a certain extent, there's some information to back that up. Like, there's some emails to Zarabozo's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. He does have a girlfriend. She just wasn't in the Bahamas. Yeah. Um, that's like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm going to Cuba. I'm gonna have, like, so part of that is kind of backed up. Yeah. And then, uh, and I think Kirby n- never was a part of that lie. He's like, I, 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 don't, I honestly don't know what Kirby said about yeah. Zarabozo's engagement and all of this. But they, I think they put him up on trial and said, Zarabozo, you're just as involved as Kirby was. And his story kind of changed a couple times. One time he said he was in the bathroom below deck and he heard gunshots and he came out and then all four of the crew were dead. And then Kirby put the gun on him and was like, you're going to help me clean this up and throw these bodies overboard. And then he's like, all right, cool. Like, I'm scared of this guy. I'm going to, I'm alone on this boat. I'm going to help him. Now I'm alone on this raft. I'll go along with his lie. Now I'll tell you the truth. And like that kind of, that kind of jibes with me a little bit. Um, and then there's the other parts where it's like, no, he was a part of it all along. And Kirby's like, no, he shot two of them. I shot the other two. Yeah. We dumped them off together. I don't know about his crazy story about whatever. Um, <laughs> we bonded. It was great. Yeah. And so, uh, then there's like weird family fighting over who gets the kids from the people oh. who owned the boat. They're now, I think with her sister, okay. which like, there's this whole long litany of like all the family sounds a little bit nuts and I think the sister's the most normal so I think the kids are in the best place they could be yeah um in all of that but it's just kind of sad and crazy and like this weird made up story when ultimately it was just this guy on the run who I don't know what happened like what I think one of the theories is that you know they're halfway along on the trip they're headed to the Bahamas and now it's the point where you need to be going to the Bahamas or you need to be going to Cuba. Yeah. And Kirby pulls out the gun or whatever and he's like, hey, we're headed to Cuba and essentially tries to hijack it. Yeah. And then uh, Jake is like, no, puts up a fight, gets shot. Oh, no. Then there's a tussle. Like yeah. that's, I think that's the, the prevailing theory is that he tried to hijack it. It didn't go well. Killed everybody. And then made up this weird pirate story. Because I think the boat ran out of gas. Okay. He couldn't pilot it himself, and it ran out of gas. And they just ended up drifting until they were found by the Coast Guard. And so the bodies were never found? No. Okay. And that's part of the, like, because they put both of them on trial, and both have been convicted. Okay. So Zara Bozo, like, threw the book at him. They didn't accept any of his stories. Yeah. And were like, you murdered four people, and you're going to go away forever. And, uh... Part of what came up in the trial was we don't have any bodies. It's all circumstantial. But they're going, we've got shell casing. We've got blood. Yeah. They were on the ocean. Where else could they be? And, and, so then, they, and then they just have this pirate story. Did they, obviously they brought up the robbery during the case? Or did they were like, we're going to get you for murder. We're not even going to bring up the Walmart thing. Mm. Because I know sometimes they'll do that. Or they'll, like, if they can't get you for the murder, they'll try to get you for this other thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they got Kirby for the murder. For murder. Okay. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Damn. How old was the couple? You said younger? They were, uh, like, 26, 27. They were young. So they probably didn't have a will, and that's why the kids, like, oh, that's so sad. And they lived, like, the mom, like, there was this really, like, crazy article where the mom was just kind of, like, telling about them as a couple and as people. And, like, it was incredibly honest. Like, there's some, like not so flattering things, but like makes them more real. Yeah. And the mom was saying that she had been, uh, like they lived, I think they were inland, like they were Indiana or something like that. And, uh, she'd gone down to visit and they're like, 
out on a boat or whatever and Kelly points to this house out on a it's on an island or it's out on a peninsula or whatever um, and it's just this huge like mansion and she's like I'm gonna live there one day and her mom's like oh whatever and then she goes through time like turns out like that was Jake lived there oh wow like Jake's grandparent like they had a shit ton of money yeah and then like as this like as the romance goes on and you learn more about them like Jake lived in an apartment above the garage at this mansion and like the toilet didn't always work <laughs> and like like our, the Kelly used to always joke that like yeah we live in this like mansion on this island in uh, Florida but it's like a trailer park like it is not <laughs> yeah, nice yeah. Um, but she got there <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> wow man that's crazy yeah. Joe Cool. The Joe Cool. That's, that's my murder. Yay. <laughs> murder. Well, thanks for uh, having cocktails and talking about murder. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. <laughs> and we don't have anyone, like, scolding us or, like, giving us side eyes because we're just going into yeah, death. But, yeah. I feel like we probably need to, like, rein it in at, at, in the office. Like, yeah. They don't want to hear it. By the way, Jackie and I both work together. Yes. And uh, we constantly talk about murder. <laughs> Sometimes it'll get to a point where, like, we shouldn't be talking about this out loud anymore and we'll just shoot each other a text about murder. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just text threads. Like, when the Golden State Killer was going off, I was on my laptop looking up all the details and I was giving my roommates updates and they were just like, dude, I, I actually don't care. And so I was texting Jackie and I was like, Jackie, it's so fascinating. (laughs) And like, so I was, I, I watched that whole OJ, uh, the the great little mini series that they did in FX. Um, and then for my, I, I did one of these Giovanni, uh, Gianni Versace. Yeah, yeah. There's, so the second season of that same, so it's very well done. I'm going to watch that one because I saw the first episode, Ooh. which was really good. Um, but then it started me on this the whole YouTube, Google, just <laughs> rabbit hole of OJ theories. Yeah. And uh, you know, what's his face? Uh, L, L, not LJ. LL Cool J. <laughs> Ladies love Cool James. Uh, no, Levin. Uh, he he own, runs TMZ. Okay. He's He was a lawyer. He was a, he was outside of the people's court and he would interview people. And then he was like a CBS news anchor and now he runs TMZ and he's just this rich (laughs) buff nerdy dude. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) So he was, uh, he worked for CBS at the time of the OJ murders Uh or yeah. And, uh, was incredibly involved in all of that. Like sat through the hearings, interviewed a ton of people. Uh, he was, this is like a month or two so this is a story that he's telling. This is like a month or two after, and I recommend anyone YouTube this because this is fascinating, <laughs> uh, after the acquittal. So OJ's free. Yeah. He's out of jail. He didn't, in quotation marks, didn't do it. So uh, this guy, Levin, is out to dinner with his friends, and they're talking about, you know, they're talking about the, the crime of the century. Yeah. And he goes, oh, you know, we're actually kind of pretty close to... Uh, Nicole Brown Simpson's house and they're like we gotta go by yeah which I can imagine if you were out to dinner with somebody and they said that you'd be like we gotta go by we're, we're gonna go now uh, so he's like alright I mean I've, I've been there so yeah let's go so they're essentially he goes and it's kind of at this point at that point in time like a tourist destination and there's you know flowers outside and people outside and you know not at all times of the day but people definitely drive by it's not abnormal and weird for them to be driving by so uh, this Levin guy goes the and he starts telling them his theories about the case and he goes i it, i think oj drove up the alley that he didn't go in the front that he drove up in the alley he okay. parked back here in the alley um and that he was coming and this is he goes that he was coming to slash her tires oh. they had had they had the recital with the daughter everyone was going to dinner at you know cafe luna or whatever it was called oj wasn't invited he was mad and he went to go slash her tires because he had slashed her tires a month before so she'd already bought new tires he goes oj was like this is his theory oj was going to slash her tires he gets there and maybe he hears her and ron talking out front or something sets him off yeah so his theory is he went there to slash the tires he had the knife like all of that is just to cut the tires and it became this blind rage, crazy murder. So as he's telling them this theory and they're driving up the alley, there's a limo parked behind Nicole's house. Oh, no. And Levin looks in the rearview mirror and he recognizes the limo driver. He's like, that's OJ's limo. OJ's oh, in that limo. Oh, he shit. doesn't see OJ. Yeah. He's very clear to say, I never saw OJ. But I know that's his driver. He goes, but I'm 
he goes, I feel it in my bones. OJ's in that limo. And the minute they see Levin, boom, limo takes off. Yeah. Not just drives away, just takes off. Like, he's very clear that it just peels out. Yeah. And he's like, we're going. <gasps> and they chase this limo. What? They chase this limo through Brentwood. And they and uh, the limo loses them at a light. Yeah. And he's like, I know they're going to Rockingham. They're going to OJ's house. Yeah. So Levin goes, I'm going to beat them there. He gets to OJ's house. Shut limo, up. Limo pulls up. Oh, my God. And he goes, I cannot tell you I saw OJ get out of that limo. I saw a man. It was dark out. Get out of the limo and go into OJ's house. Fuck. He goes, that's why I think O.J. He goes, for all the other reasons I think O.J. did it. Yeah, but The fact for that, that he went to the, the scene of the crime a month after being acquitted. Yeah. Saw me and ditched out. What was he doing there? I don't like know. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's so much stuff to, like, read and get into about the O.J. Like, it's so... I it, Yeah. Don't hate me. I haven't... I haven't oh. watched it yet. I need yeah, to, no. I know. You, there's all sorts of little rabbit holes you can follow. Making a murder. You got it like. God, I know. So I need to watch that you, too. <laughs> you got into the jinx. I, uh, my finals are over. So guess what I get to do? I get to murder. work on this podcast <laughs> and talk about murder and then just watch and listen to murder constantly. <laughs> yeah, I'm so scared. I'm so excited. Yeah. No, my anxiety is through like the roof. Disney movies. <laughs> <laughs> Moana. <laughs> um, yeah. No, that was great. Yeah. No, that was a fascinating little YouTube a little spiel. trail. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Sweet. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Again, this is Killer Cocktails, and I hope you join us for the next episode next yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, we'll throw out some stuff and let you know what our Instagram is, what our Twitter is. I think we'll have, you know, Facebook pages and whatnot. Yeah. Um, we Met- definitely will want cocktail ideas. Like, let us know cocktails that, one, are tasty and delicious, and two, you think might spur a really great murder, murder session. yeah or send us a curveball so you're like oh we'll never do anything with a mojito oh, get creative we'll we'll get you oh yeah we'll find a murder all right guys thanks thanks for tuning into this week's episode of killer cocktails as always on our talent was jackie andrea uh be sure to check out our instagram at killer cocktails podcast or stop by our website killercocktailspodcast.com for up-to-date information photos contests and more our logo was created by michelle firm whose amazing art can be found at michellefirmdesign.com. Our music was created by Nikolai Heidlus, and we'll be back next week on Hashtag Murder Mondays.